What's going on guys? A quick cold open. Well, my initial plan for Jordan Sperber was to pretty much go through his uh, pre-game, in-game, post-game process. Time limits made that impossible, which is funny considering how long this is. It's a marathon. But I thought it was all very worthwhile. But what made it impossible was two choices I made, which could be thought of as my own self-interest. Uh, number one was having him on for the second time, considering the first was strictly a UVA preview, was really getting to know him and uh, find out more about his career and just having a conversation because I feel like he's doing an amazing job right now with the analytics and X's and O's. And I always like getting to know someone who I think is uh, doing quality work on a human level. It's not like we were having a heart to heart or anything, but just kind of his perspective on analytics, uh, how we got into it, and just uh, kind of just some questions that might be a little bit different, stuff like that. So uh, number two was with college basketball coverage the way it is currently. I really wanted to get his thoughts as someone who's done an amazing job carving his own lane in the industry, especially, in my opinion, with the X's and O's, along with just the versatility of being able to be a Swiss Army knife and do whatever else. So, well, we did get into uh, kind of um, how he'd view UNC uh, pregame if he was going into Duke-UNC. Uh, we didn't quite get as much uh, in-game and post-game as I had planned, but uh, I think we still got a whole bunch um, of insight into his mind, the way he views numbers, and if I am lucky enough to have him on again, I, I will definitely ask more about kind of the way he sees things in-game and then post-game, the way he evaluates everything. But uh, this is a Duke podcast, so we did, um, after the UNC kind of pre-game stuff, it was a lot of uh, Duke um, just overall this season, maybe how, a little, and how obviously was Zion going down, uh, how that might be affected. I am... Putting this out now uh, Friday, early afternoon, so we know Zion, the injury isn't as uh, severe as uh, some may have thought, so that's great news um, if he chooses to come back. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff after the Duke we got into the college basketball coverage, and uh, yeah, I've had some frustrations which really are impossible to vocalize on Twitter, because anything on Twitter is just tough to use with the proper context because context isn't really popular on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, so, so, and just someone who kind of thinks the same way, obviously analyzing the game, the how, why, I was really interested into his thoughts of why isn't there more? How can we get more? What are the issues with the way it currently is? Just everything. And, uh, I thought his, his responses were really interesting. I thought this whole thing was really interesting. I really liked having Jordan. I've cut down on my guests a lot over the years because I think there's only so much someone can can tell me at this point if they don't actually analyze the game. Uh, so Jordan is someone obviously I've had on twice. I want to have on more. Awesome dude. Awesome analyst. Hope you enjoy. Guys, it's Adam Comero here. Welcome to another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. 
And we are coming off what should have been, win or lose, a memorable, memorable game. First rivalry game of the year against Carolina. And it was marred very quickly. I mean, the tickets were going for insane amounts of money. Obama was there. A lot of famous people were there. 36 seconds in, I believe. Zion Williamson busted through his shoe, slipped, and uh, he is his knee is sprained, Coach K said after the game. It's a mild knee sprain, but really besides that, there's no timetable. We're just waiting on news, any speculation. I know there's many uh, professional doctors all of a sudden on Twitter, but I think it's probably best to wait for an MRI and see what's going on there. Hopefully he'll be back. I mean, in terms of now everyone's into the uh, – kind of the one-and-done conversation, all that stuff is back in the forefront. You know what? I just hope his health gets better. That's the most important thing. Um, so I we will talk about that game um, that will be included in this podcast. But since I know Zion getting hurt and Duke losing, I think a lot of people just kind of want to put it in the back of their heads for now. So I want to make something a little more lasting for non-Duke fans as well. And that's why I have Jordan Sperber here. I brought him on for just a basically uh, to see what he did regularly for games, to, to review this North Carolina Duke game, to see how he prepared. I didn't expect the Zion thing, so it is a little bit different. But I think it's going to be really cool anyway because I'm just going to, kind of going to pick his brain and see how this analytics thing goes. I know some analytics, but I am not near what Jordan is. Jordan was here for a podcast a couple weeks ago for Virginia where I somehow managed to say that uh, Duke beat Virginia last year. That was my bad. Um, Virginia absolutely beat Duke last year. But, hey, Duke, Duke, Duke has beat him twice this year. So, Jordan, thanks so much for uh, joining me. And, uh, again, you can find his analysis, stat graphics, short videos, links to longer video analysis on YouTube, uh, along with his weekly newsletter, or is on Twitter. That's where all the links will be. And let's start off, Jordan. I hate that you have to keep retelling your history, because I listen to a bunch of your pods, and it seems like every time. But it does help provide some context for those who haven't heard your podcast, or you guesting on others. So, uh, can you give us a little history of uh, your career and how you've dealt with analytics um, in terms of working for teams and now kind of in the media? Yeah, so thank you for having me again, Adam. I'm <clears throat> I'm excited to do it. And yeah, you said you said that you have to repeat it, but I mean the easiest thing to do is talk about yourself, right? So so it's not it's not too bad. Um, I uh, I started my Twitter and my website in high school. Um, and slowly, very slowly, uh, but I guess surely built up a little bit of a following um, and, and not pretty modest. But one of the cool things was and and I still see it today is is in the college basketball world. Um, people are looking at Twitter. They're looking at at podcasts. They're looking at everything. Um, and so even in high school and in college, I had some college coaches reach out to me, mostly about analytics stuff that I was doing. Uh, I was also doing uh, X's and O's stuff. It's always kind of been combining the two for me. Uh, but at that point in time, I could probably provide more value to a college program through 
the uh, analytics stuff, just not really having formal X's and O's experience beyond just being like a nerdy basketball kid. Um, and so, yeah, I, I ended up getting hired by Eric Osselman at Nevada, and I worked a year for him and two years at New Mexico State um, for Paul Weir and Chris Jans. And after that experience, um, as, over the years, I think I've gotten better at, at the analytic stuff, but um, I've especially gotten kind of like uh, uh, more into the uh, the behind the scenes of the college basketball world. And so having that perspective a little bit, having worked for three years, um, so it's it's combining the analytics, it's combining the video or the X's and O's, and then also that like insider stuff. Yeah, I think the versatility is what I most appreciate because analytics, I mean, we live in a world of extremes. It's either loving the numbers or saying, no, I just want to watch the games. It can't be actually middle ground because (laughs) nothing's middle ground. So I really like that you do that. You add a lot of human element to it. If some, some people, they'll just list a bunch of numbers and expect others to be like, oh, okay, let me up, I'll know how to apply that. Not everyone does. Not everyone has interest. So if you apply that in a real human way and show the basketball way it affects um, the numbers have an effect on, I think that really helps, and you do that really well. I especially love the X's and O's. Uh, how long has the hoop, uh, has the Solving Basketball podcast actually been going? So, say that again. Sorry, you broke up for a second. How's the podcast been going? Um, how long has it been going? The length of time. Ah, y- yes. So, I think that the uh, launch date was October first. Um, we started out with a bang uh, with with Ken Pomeroy. So I I uh, got the opportunity to meet Ken a couple of times when we played at Utah Valley. Also one year at the Final Four, but uh, I went on to New Mexico State. We played Utah Valley in Orem one year, and that's not too far from from uh, Ken. And so I couldn't decide if I wanted to start off and, and work through the kinks uh, with Ken, uh, an episode I know, knew that a lot of people would watch or would listen, and even now, probably go back if it's, if if they discover the podcast. That's probably the second episode that they listen to. Then is is the Ken Pomeroy one. Um, but yeah, so October first, I think we're twenty one or twenty two episodes now. Have not missed a Monday, which I am proud of. Um, and, and yeah, there's been it's been, it's been an experience. So we're five months in. Have you solved basketball yet? <laughs> that is, uh, I mean, I it's don't... been enough time, man. I, I, we, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a patient guy. Yeah, uh, that, that's pretty funny. I kind of explained the uh, I explained the name in the in the first it's a, episode. It's a yes or no question, Jordan. Have you solved <laughs> basketball yet? <laughs> okay, uh, no. <laughs> oh, that's a really that's a disappointment. Okay, so uh, I mean, social media stuff blowing up that like off random, whatever is something I still have a hard time grasping. I mean, I'm afraid to attend Wizards games, Orioles games. And I used to have season tickets to the Redskins. I'd always be known as the always depressed guy if if I actually was there because who knows when they're going to film you. You attended Villanova, and uh, you were the, at Nevada um, during Eric Musselman. Well, he's Eric Musselman is obviously still there. So 
Were you there for um, the crying piccolo girl at Villanova or Eric Musselman's <laughs> daughter, who basically was a bo- acted like a born star during a tournament game interview? Those are two pretty memorable kind of social media blowups. And I know you did uh, attend Villanova and obviously worked under Musselman. So uh, were, were you live for those? <laughs> those are both great questions. Um the I I know exactly what you're talking about with the crime piccolo girl. I think that was after the NC State loss in the second round and yeah. that might have been my first year after graduating. Um I'm pretty sure I, I was actually coaching an AAU team that year and we had a game uh, that overlapped with that game and I missed the second half. I remember that. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I did go to Villanova. I played on the club team on the, on the club basketball team there. And I, I'm still a Villanova fan. I think it's hard to work in, uh, in, in the industry for three years and then still be like a diehard fan. Um, I, you know, I, I, uh, I just kind of have a different lens and, and I put so much myself and just the staff in general, our staff into those seasons in those three years that when you don't have that skin in the game, even though I am a, an alum, it's kind of uh, difficult to to really live and die by it to the extent that that uh, that maybe um, like like a Duke fan does. It is, I mean, it still boggles my mind how it's just. If a coach hasn't done it yet, they can't do it. And before Villanova won it all, it was just <laughs> Jay Wright can't do it. I mean, stuff like that. Now it's Tony Bennett and uh, Scott Drew can't make a Final Four. It's just nonstop. When they do, then people will move on to the next guy and saying he can't. But anyway. All right. So uh, let's start out with the most um, original, innovative question, which I'm definitely, definitely not stealing from your Solving Basketball podcast. All right, it's possible you've answered this already. Since I have actually didn't listen to the first couple episodes, I've listened to like the last eight or something, but not the first couple. But So, Jordan, if you were shooting free throws alone in a gym, or just me rebounding, maybe with a little bit of heckling going on, how many would you make out of 100? <laughs> yeah, so it is very – this is for, – for the listeners that don't know, this is the first question that I ask every guest, and the idea came from that – I was going to be having a lot of varying basketball people, some that played at a really high level, some just that like to do basketball analytics. And, and uh, so it would be a little continuity between the episodes. And, and that, was, that was the idea. There is an episode early on where I kind of give my answer. Um, but the what I said in that episode is – I wouldn't be asking the question if I wasn't a good throw shooter. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, it's it's a uh, it kind of is what it is. So um, I probably wouldn't be focused on that if if I wasn't at least decent. Um, but I do think that people tend to overestimate their answers just because, especially we don't really talk much about the context behind it. But if you don't get to warm up, if we just walked into a gym, um, I, I'll. I'll say I would probably go low 80s. I kind of sometimes I get on people not giving a specific number, but um, to take it as literally as possible, if we walked to a gym right now, you went under the hoop, I went to the foul line about a hundred in a row without warming up, I would say that I would make 81. 
Not too shabby, not too shabby. All right, so uh, what coach who has not been on your podcast would you most like to have as a guest so you could pick their brand? Tony Bennett would be would be my number that was, that was one. A quick I think. answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a list. Or, well, I, I know actually... I know you were talking with um. Oh shoot, I'm I'm, I'm going to forget the name. Let me quickly look with um. Uh, get with Gibson Piper, Gibson Piper. about how yeah. you had a coach's draft. Now, remember you saying that you would that you had drafted Tony Bennett first. Yeah. So, uh, I think that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I guess the reason why I answered it so quickly is that to me the the Virginia the reason why I've done so much Virginia coverage is first and foremost that they're really really good this year, but the system is very unique uh and and he is so good at coaching to his system that it makes for really easy breakdowns. So you always know what Virginia is running or, or you almost always know what Virginia is running and trying to accomplish on the court because they're so good at the execution side of things. And so what I would want to talk to Tony Bennett about, um, and, and I, I, we do have like a, a list of, of people that we, we want to try to get on and I don't necessarily have Tony Bennett on there, uh, maybe, maybe that's something that we should aspire to uh, to to be able to get with, with some recognition if the I guess get some kind of recognition where that is possible. But we do want to get a Virginia staffer. Um, do you just stick to college? So it would no. The answer the answer is usually, but uh, obviously Brad Stevens being sort of like the analytics pioneer would be an interesting guest to have regardless and, and he has the college ties too but uh I, I guess i would say if any nba coach reached out to me and said they wanted to be the, on the podcast i would say yes so, right. so there you go <laughs> all right uh what player current or x uh okay i'm gonna i'm gonna say i have bias in terms of who i think you should pick and you know what? I don't even think it's biased. I think it's a very rational opinion. If it, I mean, Let's... think about think about uh, you know I'll, I should just let you go. <laughs> no, no, I want to I want to hear yours first. Well, it's it's not even mine. It's just who I think. W- okay, I mean Duke analytics basically playing defense. I don't think anybody really kind of I don't want to say popularized because. I'm not sure how mainstream exactly it is, but I mean, he, he was famous for just the way he described how he prepared to guard Kobe Bryant and the amount of research he did. There is one player that really brought that sort of analytics to the forefront more than anyone else who I've heard as a player. Shane Battier. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good call. Uh, yeah, I think that sometimes it doesn't make the the, the players t- if if you're talking about analytics with the player, it doesn't make for the strongest episodes necessarily. And, and Shane Battier would definitely be an exception to that. It'd be it'd be uh, super interesting. But really, the key, like I I had one of the um, one of the former players when I was at Nevada, uh, Leland King on, and we we talked about actually Leland. 
Um, he's, you know, someone I got fairly close with while I was at Nevada and he, he will message me sometimes just a random analytics thought that he has or, or, and so we could have gone that way with the episode, I think, uh, maybe, maybe we should at some point, but, um, he had transferred twice in his career. And so that's what we talked about. We talked about from the player side of things, um, transfers in, in college basketball. So, Shane Battier, would, I agree with you. He would probably be the best one for an analytic episode. But, you know, depending on who who you're talking to, um, it's it's trying to find the best topic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, it, I think it's also because, like, Shane, he really likes talking about it. It's different than, like, some you'll, – you'll know some, like, really famous coaches. They won't say anything, though. That's why, like, the Lebetard show, I listen to that. He refuses to ever have coaches for any sport because they just don't – and quarterbacks, too, because they just don't say anything. So, yeah, you're absolutely right in terms of you want them to really be conversational about it. And from what I've heard, Shane is absolutely that. So I'd love to hear him. But I, I think just any um, current or ex-player would be a lot of fun. Um, so how have analytics really changed since you began? How is the, how is the usage of analytics changed or evolved? And what's some way you can give a kind of a fun example of analytics for some, for people listening right now whose eyes might glaze over when looking up at numbers? What's some sort of way you can help relate to them? So how has analytics changed? How has the usage changed? Uh, changed and how can you – Make it fun. <laughs> uh, good question. I think um, in terms of how it's changed, so the the resources at the college level and, and some of it, like out of New Mexico State, there's just not a ton of money to, to invest in some of this stuff. And then at higher major schools, there are is more money, uh, but I just don't think it's being it's being pri- or analytics necessarily being prioritized. Um, so I don't know that there has been that much improvement in the college, and this is this is much different for the NBA where they where they do invest a lot of money. But in the college world, um, I don't think there's been enough investment in different technology and and things like that to really have like major, major uh, improvements in, in the in the last several years. But I will say that the awareness of it, it, it just gets more and more every year. And there's probably less and less coaches every year who aren't doing something in it in terms of having someone on their staff um, or just or just having more of a, more of a knowledge of it. And that, that'll only increase as, as, uh, the, the newer cycle of coaches, um, keep like filtering into the division one level. Okay. And so is there some way you can kind of reel in somebody who says, you know what numbers are boring? Yeah. Well, um, I guess that could be hard to uh, to get over. Like, you're, if if you think numbers are boring, um, it probably wouldn't make sense to to then show you a bunch of numbers, even if even if I think that they're cool um, or or insightful. But I guess what I would talk to that person about is the ideas that then come from the numbers. So the cliche one is like the three point revolution that has happened, especially in the NBA. Um, 
where where that was because of number crunching, I guess, uh, that actionable coaching advice or actionable basketball advice um, was then built off of it to to shoot more threes. And then because teams were shooting more threes, uh, then teams started changing their ball screen coverages. Um, and, and so I, I guess with those people, I wouldn't necessarily focus on the, the numbers or the data that um, is driving that strategy and, and those changes. I would just focus on the strategy itself. Well, if you don't mind, I actually heard something in one of your podcasts I think is perfect for that. With Dave Klatsky of Colgate, he was talking about the value of various shots within the context of the offense, the player taking it, and so on, with the end takeaway being an example of how his team allowed 59, he's an assistant coach, uh, his team allowed 59 points versus Cornell, but the expected value of the shots allowed had their expected score at 80 rather than 59, which which was the actual number allowed. So r- right there, you can kind of, I've always done that in a way when I rewatch games. I, I say, you know, you know what, even though that shot was missed, it was wide open. So you can't expect that to keep happening. It's kind of like Duke. They played Louisville um, before Carolina. And I think Louisville in the first half, they were four for nine on wide open uh, jumpers. And the second half, they were one for nine on wide open jumpers. And it's like, okay, great. But I don't know how, like, that's a very much of an outlier game. And yeah, there's there's context around that. There's noise to every single stat. But I think uh, something like uh, Dave Klatsky talking about that, for me, who I don't want to say my eyes glaze over because I do uh, appreciate and use analytics, I think that really related to me. Yeah, and that is something that uh, I think having an analytics mindset can, can really help with. So... Uh, to use a completely different example, I talked about this a little bit with Jeff Goodman in, in his episode, um, was there's this perception maybe that for whatever reason, analytics likes favors teams that blow out bad teams. So North Carolina State is, is this year's example. And my point is there's analytics is just trying to be as predictive as possible. And so it's the same thing as, as the one for nine from three. Um, if you have that mindset to, okay, this is what happened, but let's use all the information available to determine what will happen in the future. Um, and it's the same thing as deciding what shots to take in a basketball game or uh, predicting who's going to win in the future. So the reason why blowing out bad teams is, is, is seen as a good thing in analytics is because in the past, that's been something that has been predictive of, of winning. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a non-biased, um, thing. And, and, uh, at least having that framework, I think can help you make better decisions as a basketball coach or really in whatever line of work you're in. Yeah, I think a great example on kind of the opposite side of what you were saying, but agreeing with your point, Michigan State last year, fascinating team in how they were dominant in every stat you can imagine except for two. They 
They turned the ball over too much, and they did not force turnovers. Everything besides that, dominant. But then you look at their final scores, everything was close. They would win every game, it seemed, by less than 10. I think they actually came into the tournament winning something like 10 in a row by less than double digits. And it was, it's just really tough to trust a team like that. And sure enough, they did lose. I'm not saying they lost because of that. But, I mean, if they could never, ever blow a team out, even though they were really put together much better than their opponent. Yeah, it, it is worth questioning. Whereas Duke, I think, at least for me, I totally understand the analytics and everything, but this Duke team is built to bludgeon teams that they are more talented than. They are long, they are athletic, they are wing heavy. So when you compare them to last year, where they it was more big reliant, I think it's tougher to blow teams out, like just totally blow out of the water than it is with this team who they're just going to force turnovers and dunk on you nonstop. So this team, I think when they have that talent advantage more than a little bit, it could get bloody real fast. So I'm not sure how much to take out of it, but yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting way to, uh, to evaluate whether you believe it or not. And I, I do. I think there's outliers to everything, but I definitely hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess um, it would be something interesting to look at if Duke plays better in, uh, uh, I guess, better statistically in those, in those games against really bad teams as opposed to uh, the best teams, I guess my counter would be, well, they just beat Virginia two times in a row and no one else can do that. Um, so that that seems to show that they can also rise to the level of of their opponent as well. Um, but but yeah, I, I could I could see it. They, the, the, the especially on defense, their pressure, their denials. Um, I guess you could question how much that translates in, um, against higher level teams. I just don't know if the results back that up. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like Eastern yeah. Michigan. They, they turned them over nonstop. Like all the points were in transition. Eastern Michigan actually played zone versus Duke and Duke was horrific. And even at that point, I knew that, you know what, when the game is slowed down, Duke's going to have trouble with some teams. And then they just kept finding these random outlier games when they played the best teams. Virginia, they would hit crazy amounts of mid-range the first game, insane uh, three-pointers the second game, Florida State, outlier from three. So it's like, I don't know, are they just like trolling us or something? Are they just going <laughs> to be able to say, you know what, you think we're bad at this, but when it, when it comes time, we're, we're going to all of a sudden step up and we're going to actually – take that what you considered a weakness and now it's going to be a strength and you didn't see it coming North Carolina yeah I mean I, I think that that's the first time that they couldn't overcome just being a really horrific half-court team obviously Zion has a lot to do with that so um for analysis or evaluation there's straight analytics there's predictive analytics x's and o's there's the mental aspect there's the eye test what am I missing? And is it possible to kind of order these in terms of what you consider the most important or even the type of analysis you enjoy the most? I'll repeat the kind of straight analytics, predictive analytics, or maybe those are the same thing. X's and O's, mental, and the eye test. 
Uh, man, I don't know. I don't know if you're missing anything necessarily. Um, I think, I don't know. It's the, the mental, uh, or like psychological part is not necessarily something I have. I have a ton of experience in. I can tell you this, uh, as a video coordinator at, at New Mexico state, my, if you go to our staff online, it, it would have all of our staff and, and like my office phone number and email and stuff was on there. And I would get calls from NBA people somewhat consistently about our potential NBA prospects, just looking to, uh, get to know the, the actual person that they were evaluating, um, they would be interested in my, and this is not, this had nothing to do with them calling me in particular. It's just um, probably, if, if anything, they're probably just calling the lowest guy on the staff because they, they were probably the ones that would uh, be the most responsive. And they would ask in terms of how I felt or how we felt from like a, a playing standpoint. Um, but for the most part it was they wanted to know about off the court stuff and if he's coachable and if he works on his game and, and that kind of stuff. And it's always a kind of weird dynamic uh, because you're not really gonna, you're not gonna hurt your player. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that that's tough. I was more um, considered what you do specifically in terms of game analysis, like, gotcha. with, like with Duke yesterday, it's not going to show up on stats, but when Zion went out, you would have to assume there's some mental drop-off at least immediately after. And Kay said at halftime, that's kind of when it hit him. And I know Kay's going to protect Coach Kay. He's going to protect his players in certain ways. But, I mean, it's very believable. And I know sometimes we can get too wrapped up in narratives, which is something I would very much doubt you do. So that's why I asked. I'm not saying mental should be. I'm asking you. Yeah. Um, it should. I mean, is it? Does it belong anywhere near those other categories? I think that the problem with it is uh, if if uh, Zion had gotten hurt and Duke won the game, then the narrative is that they rallied around their friend's injury and played inspired basketball uh, for him, and so it's not that it's not. Or it's not. I don't know if if uh, if that's why Duke played poorly is because they were in some type of shock or, or that contributed. But it's not something that I personally um, deal with because I can't really uh, prove it one way or the other. And I guess that's that's kind of just thinking about now the the background of of the stuff that I have to do is, is to have proof. And um, that's why I gravitate towards the X's and O's stuff where you can literally show a clip of, of what's happening um, and the analytics stuff where, where you have data. But that's not to say that the X's and O's stuff and, and the numbers too um, can't be sort of manipulated. And, and people give stats a lot of hate for that. But I would argue that film is actually worse. So um, I, for instance, fr from this Duke Carolina game, 
I have clips of I, I clipped out the whole game, so I, so I have offensive and defensive possessions. And what I did was I labeled good and bad pretty much. So um, for for the 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 Carolina offense when Duke was playing defense, um, I looked at it from UNC's perspective, and if if I thought um, if I thought it was a good possession, I labeled it good. If I thought it was a bad possession, I labeled it bad. And so I could make a video um, just showing the good ones or just showing the bad ones and, and prove a entirely different point. Um, so it's just as much about the person putting the film together as it is the film itself. Um, and, and it's the same thing with, with numbers and stats too. Uh, but, but yeah, um, that's, uh, that's a little bit on that, I guess. Okay. And one other form of analysis, I kind of wanted to see if you might bring up, especially with you when you were at New Mexico state and when you're at Nevada in person. Watching it live, whether it's practice or game, do you think that provides a different perspective and possibly a better perspective at times? So, uh, I with the amount of money that NBA teams are spending on their on their scouting and travel budgets for for that kind of stuff, I would have to imagine that it <laughs> that it must. Uh, we are at the college level. I'm pretty sure the rules are that you're not allowed to live scout. I know for a fact that we don't do it, but I think there might be rules against it. Um, the only time that we would do it is is at tournaments. So, like last year at New Mexico State, we played in the the Diamond Head Classic in Hawaii, and uh, and we get we got to scout our future opponents, and then in our conference tournament. Um, obviously before and after your games, you're scouting. And then in the NCAA tournament too, we played, we played Clemson in the first round last year. And the game before us was Auburn and college of Charleston. And so I went to the arena early and we were trying to get, we were were trying to, to live scout in case we, we won the Clemson game. Uh, personally, um, I am not good at at the at the live scouting type of stuff, and I think that's probably more of a function of of me. Um, I think that there is advantages to be gained if you have a lot of experience in it, uh, because you get to see the length and the athleticism and just the feel and flow a little bit better. But those are all the advantages. All the disadvantages are you have to have a really, really quick eye to, to see what's happening. You don't have a pause and a rewind button that I'm really used to. And, and so uh, I think it's more a function of the fact that I don't have like reps at, at the live scouting stuff um, rather than like one being better than the other. Well, don't worry, Jordan, once you solve basketball, I'm sure it'll get much easier. All right. So, um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I did have one more question for the intro, but I think I kind of want to save that for the end because at the end, I want to get into coverage and I'll kind of hint at it and, and it's, it's why are you really the only person? I don't know if it's just you found your niche or just I, – I, I've never understood how there's no, no one else consistently doing it in terms of X's and O's, the video stuff and – but that all kind of kind of factors into coverage and how different uh yeah you know what we'll get into that and i think right now uh, i think it'd be fun to just 
in terms of preparing for the Duke UNC game, in terms of what you saw, and in terms of after it was over, um, your reactions to it, your analysis, I want to kind of take a trip inside your head and see what goes on there. So, um, and this isn't just for Duke UNC. This is how I hope you um, can really get across how you would prepare for any game. Obviously, some you'll do differently than others. But when I, I know Duke Carolina, obviously a big game. I, not all of them you're going to spend a whole lot of prep time on. Am I correct in assuming you did spend some time on Duke, North Carolina? Yeah, so I did a a video of North Carolina versus Duke, the Carolina pick versus Duke for the last 10 years. Uh, that was more a lot. It wasn't necessarily trying to think about how Kobe White was going to fit into it or how, how some of the new guys uh, were, were going to fit, but more so um, just just like a historical look. Um, but uh, yeah, I I, uh, I would say there's probably one or two games a week where I'm trying to go the extra mile and one would definitely classify Okay, so what is the first thing you would do? You know, Duke is playing North Carolina. Let's say you're looking into North Carolina. Are you going to first watch film, or are you going to Synergy or another analytics site? What? Uh, what where are you going? I am probably – so the biggest thing for me is ultimately I, I – uh, you need to have a story or a narrative if you're going to make a video or a Twitter thread or something like that. But in my opinion, you want to hold out from having that story or narrative as long as possible until you've watched all the film and looked at all the numbers possible mm -hmm. um, because it can get and, – and if I was working for a team, then it doesn't have to necessarily be narrative based. Uh, but but the fact of the matter is, I want people to to watch my videos. Right. Um, so so there has to be that element. Um, but a great deal of care goes into it. To Can try I just interrupt to for one second? You're, you're yep. The music in your videos really really pretty bad at first, and I gotta say, I applause. You, you are getting good with it with, with some beat drops lately. And, I mean, D, DJ Spurbeats, I'm, I'm, I got to give it to you. A round of applause on there. So uh, the music is getting much better. Check out his SoundCloud. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely not my specialty. But uh, <laughs> but the, the flip side would be just listening to me talk all day. So so that's uh, I, I do like having the background music in. Um, but anyways, so – uh, what was I talking about? I'm sorry, I made you lose your train. No, no, no worries, no worries. All right, um, so you're um you're thinking about Carolina, you're thinking about they they run the break. You made oh you yeah, made yeah, that yeah. Vid video, and I mean, I'll say for me, I mean you, I know from just kind of Carolina every year. There's always three things that I know, always always true. Um, at least from a Duke, um. I mean, I'm a Duke fan, but, like, it's really weird. Nobody thinks it's possible. I am unbiased in what, in what I do. I analyze the game. Um, so, I mean, North, North Carolina, they 
always, always, always attack the offensive glass, no matter what their size is. I think it's really fascinating how no matter who's on their team, they will always attack the offensive glass and do really well there. They will always push pace, maybe not to the level of uh, this season, and they will never guard threes. So (laughs) before anything... I already know those three things, and I've never been proven wrong about those three things. And, uh, I mean, maybe I'll check Ken Palm just like a quick glance before I I watch film and synergy and go deeper. But, I mean, there's kind of stuff like you showing the break. There's there are narratives that it's not trying to prove anything. It's just kind of what's been over the years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um that well that that's a great point um especially with the pregame stuff um and then and then the postgame uh is a little bit different because you you know Zion goes out and and so that kind of cha- changes everything um but like watching the game the first time and and this is the same thing with the pregame um the the pregame prep too you might have sort of ideas that you think a team is good or bad at something, or this is a reason why they've been successful. Uh, but you want to hold out on that as long as possible and make sure that is actually the reality. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think for instance, I saw a lot of talk pregame about North Carolina's, uh, early offense or the, or their transition numbers aren't good this year. Um, so that would be something that I, I wouldn't, ne- I wouldn't necessarily, if I was working for a team, I'd probably want the stats first and, and to be as efficient as possible. But sometimes with, with this stuff, uh, I almost, as to whether I look at the film or the stats first, it's like, uh, I hold off on the stats as long as possible uh, I try to I try to see what I see, then I go to stats, then I watch some more, uh, and I do feel I mean this is probably uh, misguided. Like not enough people really are are watching the watching the stuff or really care what I have to say, but I at least treat it um, like like that's the case and, and try to be as accurate as possible. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, if I'm wrong, I, I mean, you know more than me, so tell me, I am the one who, uh, I think I tweeted you those uh, stats in terms of Carolina, they score a ton in transition, they get out, they run, I mean, it's insane, Savannah State, who nobody will ever run more than Savannah State, but uh, North Carolina is number two, and I think Duke's like number 12, and Carolina's like 10% higher in terms of their initial field goal attempts. It's something like 42% right now. Duke is 32%, and Duke is 12, and Carolina's number two. I mean, Carolina runs off of everything, but Carolina is pretty horrific in terms of their points per possession rate. So um, you said you disagreed with that um, in terms of the way it actually shows on film? Not necessarily. Uh I think that there's a lot of context to it mm-hmm. um, in terms of just the fact that they want to run at all cases is going to lower their efficiency a little bit. The other thing about synergy or uh, I can't remember if you use synergy or hoop math or, or maybe both is that it doesn't, both, yeah. yeah, it doesn't take into account offensive rebounds. 
um, and offensive rebounds in, in synergy, offensive rebounds get counted in its own bucket. It wouldn't be counted as transition. Um, in, in hoop math, I believe it's the same thing. It's only those transition numbers are only first, uh, first shot attempts of a possession. Um, and they, that's, that's, this isn't necessarily just a transition offense thing with Carolina, but they're just a really good offensive rebounding team. Uh, and, uh, coincidentally, or, or maybe not coincidentally, I, I'm not entirely sure, but they did have some offensive rebounds last night in in transition. Uh, whether that would boost them up enough to to be efficient, I don't know, and, and probably not. Uh, but it's like um, I'm not, I, in terms of evaluating the matchup with Duke, I'm not sure that you can look at those numbers and then say, well, I think that that they could slow it down. Um, they, you know, that's that's what they do. Um, it would be it would be hard to to um, sort of make an adjustment um, when that's like s- such a strong identity for a Roy Williams team. Yeah, their uh, percent of initial field goal attempts on the offensive rebounds twenty two point seven. And uh, just the overall field goal attempts in transition, including it, that's 34.7. So without the offensive rebounds and with the offensive rebounds, they're number two. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's very context-dependent. I, I, you are absolutely right about that. So uh, I'm looking through Synergy. I'm looking at Carolina right now and looking at the first thing is the overall offense. I mean, I'm, the, what pops out immediately is just transition where they're in the 31st percentile. So I'm thinking, how could they run that much? And you've explained it. Is there anything, are you, uh, do you have synergy up for North Carolina? Yep. Okay, is there anything that stands out just um, of the overall offense? And also, I really, let, let me just, this is a tiny little rant. Why Synergy, like, please let me watch the video. It's, I don't coach and I don't, work for a big site and they and i've emailed them a bunch of times like no you haven't signed up for this i'm like can i they're like no so please let me watch the video synergy that's all i got that okay um so is there anything that stands out uh of the overall offense well um let's see so i'm i'm looking at page now too and and yeah i was curious so they the way synergy works is is percentiles which I guess it makes sense. It can take a little bit of getting used to if, if you uh, if you if you haven't necessarily been on Synergy, but you. Like I, I you usually said, click and find the exact rank. So yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, so they're 31 percentile in transition efficiency, um, and then if you click through that, the, uh, Synergy has them fourth in in uh, transition positions or actually percentage of time so like you said savannah state is number one um you know i would actually that's pretty uh that's pretty good just the fact that it's it's very close to hoop math in in that sense um and then yeah for just on this page in general um i don't think that we would get a ton out of just the main team page so some things that we would get out of synergy is uh each player it has their lefty and righty drives if you if you go on their player pages how often they drive left how often they drive right off of both isolations and spot ups Uh, so i would usually combine those two together 
um, especially during conference tournament time when sample size is pretty big. That that would be we had a booklet where we would go into the conference tournament with a booklet of all the teams that we could potentially play, and that that would be um, some of the information that is on there. And then um, another example that I use a lot is we played uh, a really ball screen heavy team in our conference, Utah Valley, and uh, synergy for that. Uh, you actually have to export the the data, so the, the site doesn't really show this stuff um, up front. But uh, they have a ton of information on ball screen offense. So for each player, and Utah Valley ran so many ball screens um, that each player had like a hundred or, or or however many, a hundred, two hundred. Um, it would it would say you know if if they went left if they went right where they were on the court if they rejected the ball screen if they used it all these tendencies um, that aren't necessarily being viewed aren't being displayed in a good way on synergy and mm-hmm. so that that is where I would try to come in and display them in a better way for our staff. That, uh, that that reminds me, it gives me nightmares of uh, Gonzaga earlier in the season against Duke, just screening the hell out of them. All right, so um, it, just for a casual person who sees, transition 31%, half court 94% rank. I'm thinking, like, why does Roy keep saying he wants to run nonstop? Why does this team run more than any team since Raymond Felton in 2005? When it seems like they're so good in the half court, they're such good shooters, they spread the floor. So why don't they run more um, if just someone who hasn't watched them a lot? Yeah, so uh, the fact that... Did, did I ask how, why don't they run more? I mean, why yeah, don't they the, actually... The uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. I understand. So the percentiles are relative to um, that play type. So they are 31st percentile in transition and 94th in overall half court, but they are actually more efficient in transition. It's just that um, that's relative to everyone else's transition offense. So their point synergy has 0.985 points per play Mm -hmm. in transition and 0.971 in the half court. And so that is where even though they aren't great efficiency wise compared to everyone else's transition, uh, transition is just almost always going to be more efficient than than half court. And uh, specifically, a team like UNC that is so disciplined in their transition you know, throughout the years, they're five men. It's. It's got to be one of the main things that they focus on um, is is literally running the court. It's easy. Uh, all coaches will say when they get hired that they want to play fast, uh, but it's like anything else. You really need to emphasize it, um, and and they are kind of a machine in in the way that they do it. Uh, as to why it their thirty first percentile. Um, I would say Kobe White takes some pretty bad shots at, at times. He's very capable of making them, um, but he probably doesn't run the team quite as well as some of the past Carolina point guards. He's very talented, uh, and and he can make bad shot. Or yeah, and yeah, he can make bad shots. But uh, but I would imagine that the point guard is very important in that, and and. Uh, 
he would at least be a partial reason for it. Definitely. And I hate to nitpick on this, but um, I mean, you look at the spot up stats and the off screen stats. I mean, they, I was trying to figure out when they were the better shooting perimeter team than Duke, when the last time Carolina played Duke and they were the better perimeter shooting team. Cause it's, it's just crazy. Obviously that didn't quite uh, equate to yesterday's game where it was almost like uh, Duke Virginia part one, where they were efficient on twos, not on threes. The difference is Duke Virginia part one, they were well guarded. Whereas yesterday everyone was just missing, but typically um, Carolina, the spot up there, it's not just the 99th percentile, the points per possession is better than transition. You look at the catch and shoot. I mean, they are excellent, both guarded and unguarded. Um, I mean, unguarded, they are 99th percentile guarded 95th. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to try to harp on it too much. It's just, they are a great shooting team. So maybe it's just a way to boost their energy in some way. I don't know. So that's why I'm just really interested in what you have to say. Yeah. So the spot ups and the cuts and and the off screens and all that stuff is really just a subset of half court. So the Mm -hmm. way Synergy does it is um, transition is its own bucket. Offensive rebounds are its own bucket. And then everything else you see there is is what makes up that half court number, um, and yeah, uh, maybe I, I would agree that that uh, w- given how good they are on, on these spot ups, uh, Carolina's offense is not really built in a way. You know, when the when the their fast break stalls out, they go into motion, um, and and there aren't a ton of teams still running motion. Um, Texas Tech is is a is a good example of another elite team that that's running motion, um, but uh, probably being more ball screen heavy, uh, more spacing heavy, and mm-hmm. driving and kicking to to generate those spot ups um, might make some sense given the the data that we're seeing. Um, I, I honestly I'm kind of surprised at at just how good that number is, um, but yeah, the larger point is is that um, it's it's really just a bucket of, of the half court. Right. Um, so it's, it's actually a little redundant in that sense, um, but it, it provides more context. Yeah, I mean, the, the three-pointers in half court, I mean, it's crazy. There's actually th- three ACC teams in the, in the top 12. Uh, Carolina's 12 at 1.183 points per possession. Uh, UVA is number eight, and Virginia Tech is number three. So that's pretty surprising but i remember virginia tech when they went up against virginia they couldn't hit anything from outside so obviously it's context dependent who you're playing all kinds of stuff and that's where you come in you're so great at it so um more about unc is there anything else that might stick out from um their offense or would you do you think it's time to go to defense or maybe individuals is there something individual where it's, oh, this person is really good at blank. We got to concentrate on this just by a stat. I know the best is to combine the stats and the and the film, but just starting out, is there anything that sticks out that lets you know you should watch film to see how it occurred? Yeah, if, uh, if I was going to do something, if I was scouting North Carolina um, – what I would want to do is they, you know, they're this, they're transition heavy. The Carolina break is, is their, is their big thing. Um, 
I would want to chart out every single – well, okay, maybe not every single at this point in the season, but at least the last 10 games or so, um, all the different options in the Carolina break. Uh, so there's there's a, a back screen lob play. There's a, After that, there's a cross screen. They can drag screen. They can throw and chase. There's all these different things um, that – are built into the break and and uh, it's it goes back to almost how how uh, Tony Bennett's system at, at Virginia is really easy to to chart and know what they're in. I guess there is some similarities with Roy Williams there, um, and so this would so for a system team like that, uh, that's what I would have tried to do: chart every single type, and, and this is a little bit more specific than synergy. Um, because Synergy is doing this for all 353 teams and not necessarily customizing for the specific team. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so see where they score the most in that break um, and then present that to the coaching staff in the um, in the scouting process of, of how we're going to ultimately guard these things. So like at New Mexico state, I wasn't necessarily making the decisions on, on how we were going to guard, uh, but I was trying to provide information that could help the people that were making those decisions. Okay. So would you, should I assume you would have been like at New Mexico state, you would have been watching the other team's games, not all season, but would you, I guess if New Mexico State is playing, I feel bad. Uh, what's what's the team in their conference? Uh, Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon. Oh, thank man. I w- I would rant for so long about them before this season because they were a um, four pay uh, yep. college before, and I just I couldn't stand that where where they would have these like NBA gyms. And Dan Marley was like, "Oh, come here," where it looks like they're playing in the like a palace and i was like that's not fair but now they're on even ground so totally cool love you grand canyon but um yeah if, if they're playing grand canyon should i expect you would have seen um video on them throughout the season or are you going to be digging deep into the film right before it is and is how much do you take the previous game the last game right before like if you're are you gonna watch a lot of north carolina i think there was wake forest they played and if, if North Carolina you're going to watch a lot of Louisville who Duke just played or are you going to kind of take it an overall how the season's gone so generally the way it works is there are three assistant coaches on staff and they rotate uh, as the scout so as the video coordinator my job essentially was to help those three assistant coaches um, so Ideally, the scouts get divvied up in a way where uh, it's it's assistant coach number one, then two, then three, then back to one. It doesn't always quite work like that. Uh, but as soon as they're done with their scout, they're moving on to the next team they have, even if it's a couple weeks away. And uh, and they're really, for the most part, focused on on their teams and that's how you have someone on your staff that's an expert at that team when when the the game comes personally um i was a little bit more flexible in in my time um so i mean we like to think that every game gets treated equally Uh, it's somewhat the case somewhat not the case um if if we had a, a particularly 
um, big game coming up or just a team where I thought like analytics or, or something like that could provide extra value. I might focus a little bit more on that. Um, and then also if an assistant coach was had like back-to-back scouts, if that's how the schedule worked out, uh, would I would probably be helping more um, with that second team so, so that he was all set in his preparation. Um, yeah. So that, uh, Oh, and then, and then your other part about, uh, about is the last game used more heavily? Uh, probably not because all the film that we're going to watch with the team has been already put together in a lot of cases at that point. You need to work ahead and, and have that put together. So what is then going to happen is on day one of preparing for that team, you're probably going to use the last five games or so to put together all your all your edits to show the guys and then the next day, you are going to use that as a baseline, but you are going to have the most recent game, which you just probably spent like all night watching, um, and you are going to use those clips uh, to um, either talk about something they're doing differently or just emphasize, okay, this is they did these things in, in the last game, and so as the it depends how much time you have to prep, but uh, you're going to keep using the, the newer clips more as you get closer to the game day. So you're thinking, don't melt down like Louisville when Duke presses. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> right. so, so last thing about Carolina offense, one thing, just because I, I know how good um, – uh, wow, wow, what am I thinking? Uh, Cam Johnson has been uh, shooting outside. I'm looking at – the pick and roll ball handler when they when they shoot, that's twenty two percent, twenty two percent ranking, and points per possession point seven. But when you look at um, the passes out of the pick and roll when it's from the roll, <laughs> I, I saw it uh, here. It is our uh, pick and roll roll man, ninety three percent right there, and then including passes. Uh, in the in the 98th percentile there. So when they're running the pick and roll, it was almost like when Duke played FSU, they were running it to pass. Whereas FSU was it was most of the time to their seven foot, 25 foot guys. I think Carolina they do a lot of pop. So when Bryce Johnson, Bryce Johnson, um, Cam Johnson, when mm-hmm. there's pick and roll, I would just. And I, this is just me as some random person. So t- tell me I'm wrong uh, if I am wrong, which I probably am. Um, I, I would just really, really um, make sure whoever's guarding him, whether it be Cam Reddish or whoever, stick to him. Don't let him pop with an open shot. Make sure you fight through that screen because that's what's generally going to happen. Not every time, but with how good they shoot, especially how good he shoots, just watch out for it. Yeah, uh, I agree with you, um, and I think as a rule, uh, teams, at least the, these top-tier teams that I've really been focused on, they give up too many rhythm threes out of their ball screen coverages um, to the point where I think that they should look into changing the coverages altogether. Uh, I will say pretty much regardless um, like the, the role man is always going to be the highest points per possession because you're generally not throwing it to him and he's not shooting unless 
he's open. Um, so there's a little bit of almost selection bias there, but that doesn't um, that doesn't that doesn't take away from your overall point. I don't think at all um, that that uh, taking away the three in in ball screen coverages is well, very yeah, the, important. The sample size on the roll is also pretty small. Um, I'm looking at it. Uh, where, where is it? Uh, 54 possessions. So they don't. It's it's pretty much it, it's they pop. It's uh, how many? Um, here we go. Uh, 144 possessions, a much bigger sample size, and that's 98%. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I plan for. The role, I kind of just used it because they do do it sometimes, and they're much better than when the, the uh, ball handler shoots. But more often than not, they are going to be um, kicking out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so to get sort of technical, like – a lot of teams will hedge ball screens, and so what that is is the the guy guarding the big man um, who's setting the ball screen. That guy hedges out and and prevents the ball handler from getting to the hoop. So theoretically, that is going to take away the ball handler driving or shooting off of the off of the ball screen. And the what the hedge does is it puts you at risk for the roller. But like you said, those numbers are so low. So how does the hedge ball screen coverage work? Uh, well, the answer is Cam Johnson or whoever's guarding someone like that, his man comes and helps or what's called tags on on the uh, on the guy rolling to the basket. And so that's what the defense is trying to take away in the hedge. They're trying to take away the ball handler and then they're trying to take away the roll man. And then the third thing is they're trying to recover to the spot-up guy, um, the, the Cam Johnson or, or, or whoever it is. Um, and so that is why teams give up a lot of threes. Um, and it's something that we've seen from quite a few teams. Kansas would be one that comes to mind as well mm-hmm. as a team that gives up a lot of threes out of ball screens. Okay, and last question before we move to Duke's offense would you say it's a matter of there's just more athletic ability in the NBA um, in terms of being able to recover? Because I don't see, and I, I could very well be missing it, there's not a lot of screen the screener to take away the hedges. I see that a ton in the NBA. Um, do you, am I wrong? And if I am right, why, why don't why isn't there more? Well. Shooting is definitely better in the NBA. Spacing is better as well. Uh, but I think that the NBA is a lot more progressive in their ball screen coverages. So for the most part, teams don't hedge anymore uh, in, okay. in the NBA. Um, they are they keep they they keep the big back. Whether it's icing, which means uh, not letting the ball handler get in the middle and then keeping the big back in, in to play gap. Um, or it could just be some people call it a soft hedge. I think at New Mexico state, we called it a shadow um, where, where you're not getting aggressive. You're, you're basically, you can, I think the NBA literally like states how many gaps they want one gap, two gap, three gap. Um, and that is not really uh well, there are teams doing it in college, but for the most part, you know, Virginia is a hedge team. Kansas mm-hmm. is a hedge team. 
uh, Duke will switch a lot, which is which is an NBA thing. Um, they'll hedge a little bit. They they've tried to ice. Uh, North Carolina is a hedge team. Uh, so for the most part, if you look at the top ten, uh, you are going to see a lot of a lot of hedging, which you won't see as much in the NBA. Awesome information. And uh, do you think do they keep uh, stats on the short roll in the NBA? So the NBA has this uh, site, I guess, called Second Spectrum, which is like synergy on steroids. Uh, <laughs> so they keep everything in the NBA is is the answer. I actually have not um, used Second Spectrum, but I've but I've had it sort of explained to me, and uh, I think. I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure Synergy uses humans to, to do all this stuff, loggers, um, mm-hmm. whereas the NBA has machine learning and, and tracking technology that uh, does it all automated, and then um, the insights can therefore be a little bit greater. So, so yeah, the, they do track things like short rolls, and even like ball screen coverages would be on second spectrum. Cool. All right, so Duke's offense, and I think I might be just kind of ignorant in thinking that, I mean, with how bad their half-court offense is a lot of the time and how stagnant it can be, I mean, and how dependent it is for just, they, they need to get in transition. They need more opportunities on the break. They need offensive rebounds, and they, and they need free throws. They just need as many chances as they can because when they're in half-court, it's uh, I mean they just basically chuck. Um, I mean the uh, the jumpers they're like one percent two percent um right there. It's pretty much mostly ISO. Their spot up is like it's pretty horrific. And the only thing which gives them some creativity it seems is when they get the ball to Zion. And then things happen that creates action. I mean O'Connell. I was actually hoping. He could step up and provide and provide some scoring yesterday because they do run him off screens. They do actually get him involved more and make it so it's not just ISO offense. But when you think about Duke, I mean, it's like the Bucks. They surround uh, Giannis with a bunch of shooters, and then besides uh, Bolden and Javin, I think that's what was hoped for. Yeah, I mean, Zion obviously can't, but Zion's insane. Um, but nobody, nobody hits. No, nobody can hit. Jack White. It almost seems like Syracuse might have crushed his confidence. That's why I'm talking about mental, because there's no way to actually chart that. But I mean, Trey Jones, he's not even being guarded half the time anymore. Um, and uh, I mean, O'Connell. I would hope he hit. He, he can hit. Can't. Jordan Goldwire can't. So, I mean, yesterday when they're shooting one for twenty-four, I mean, it's just what. I don't know. It seems like teams are just going to pile on RJ and Cam. It's amazing how, I mean, when you have guys who can just create their own nonstop, when you have three, that may, I mean, it's the big three. But when it comes down to two, you could be in trouble. So um, I guess, so sorry, that was a little long, right, right there, long-winded. But um, when you're thinking about Duke, how are you thinking about them before Zion? Um, is before Zion is potentially out compared to after. Yeah, uh, I would hesitate to rush to extreme judgments, but I will say that that uh, yesterday was concerning for sure. Um, 
it, I th- if, if we're going back into the synergy numbers for Duke, I think that the fact that their isolation and their ball screen stuff is so high, given that their spot up is so low, sh- it shows the power of, of Zion and RJ. Um, it, it's all related to each other in that the better floor spacing you have, the easier it is to isolate and drive. Okay, and can, Duke- I, can I stop you there and ask, what is a big enough sample size for you to consider a number legit? Because when you look at those numbers, I mean, spot-up's huge, transition's huge, offensive rebounds are huge, and I, I cuts, okay? I mean, how much is big enough? What percentage of the offense would you consider? Uh, I don't really have a, uh, a guideline necessarily, um, but I would say that we are getting into the point of the season where certainly, you know, there's a lot of spot ups being taken a game. And, and like you said, the, per, the percentage of time does factor into it a little bit. Um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I would say that you would like to see at least like a hundred field goal attempts of, uh, of each of them. Obviously a hundred is just a conveniently very round number and, and right. not some type of uh, statistical like certainty on it. Um, but, but yeah, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a give and take, like, like we've been talking about the whole time between, the the stats and and then the video to back it up. Okay, so when you're looking at shot attempt in the half court, mm-hmm. yeah, ju- jump shots, which is they take over 51.7 percent of their half court shots. Uh, r- runners, they're, they're good, and then around the basket and post ups are really good, but w- they take so many jump shots that do you think that? Because I remember, I remember listening to, um, I believe it was Rob Douster saying about, um, I think Musselman actually, that he kind of just lets his three guys make plays. He gets them in the best positions possible and just lets them create. And it seems like, hey, that's what he does. He just tries to get them in good position. Um, and sometimes, I mean, when you have guys that can just create their own, yeah, I mean, don't mess with it. Especially freshmen who probably didn't have too many kind of X's and O's in their heads in high school. I don't know. I could be wrong, very wrong. But, um, yeah, I just remember, like, hey, even during the Olympics in 2016, I'll never forget Paul George. I'm not going to say he was angry. He was just frustrated because it was the same type of offense, this kind of spread ISO where nothing was going on, nobody was moving. And it was just like, it's tough to really generate energy from that. So I wish there was more, but I, I actually, before this podcast, I sent you a link of some of the plays from the 2015 NCAA tournament. Um, Cause I, I was so kind of craving to, Hey, remember the days of when Duke actually ran sets and the play I asked about a Virginia play UVA, you said they ran that last game, which just shows how completely ignorant I am. And how I might just be missing all of it. So, what? How do you how do you feel about what I said? And I mean, is Duke running many sets or at least action? No, I uh, I think that you're you're giving yourself too little credit. Actually, I think I think you're pretty much spot on. So, uh, I can pull it up here, but uh, I can tell you exactly how many sets that Duke ran. 
Um, before I do that, I, uh, I, I can tell you this, they, in terms of like action and, and there's, there's a little bit of a distinction between a set and an action. A set is probably more, more of a planned, um, like scripted play. Whereas an action could be like, it could be something that you run within that play, or it could be just something more unscripted, like a motion cut or screen. Um, and so the, the only thing that they really ran that got them any points in terms of actions or sets was, was a, a little pin down. I think reddish scored maybe two jumpers coming off of a little pin down, um, action. And then someone else did as well. Um, so, so I, I had like six points, um, generated off of pin downs and then the rest of it is mostly just kind of like the rolling it out playing that you're talking about. They probably ran about six, seven sets and, and the, or well, six or seven total, not necessarily different sets, but total sets. Um, but they're, they're not, they're not really with the intent to like get a look on, on each one. So it's more just to get some movement every once in a while and and put the guys in the right spot. Even that UVA set, uh, which is a pin down on one side and a flare screen on the other side, uh, they they weren't really running it with the purpose that would be needed to, to generate points directly off of it. And, yeah, so... First of all, you know, Duke is ranked third in the country right now in adjusted offensive efficiency. Um, so it's important to keep that in mind. Uh, but there was some evidence yesterday without Zion that they probably, if, if he's out for a significant amount of time, would need to start generating more points off of um, – Awesome some action, some sets at New Mexico state, we called it manufacturing some points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that they really need to do that with, with the healthy Zion. It can look a little bit ugly at times, even with him. Uh, but the, the concept since really the first game in the champions classic has been, we don't need that much player movement. Um, we just need great spacing. We have great players. And then the swing factor to me was ball movement uh, because sometimes the ball movement has been good, sometimes not so good. Um, but without Zion, you need more of the player movement. I mean, one thing I think would help, I've stopped harping on this. I used to just every single year kind of hope that K would – help his point guards out a little more. And with Trey coming to Duke, he knew what he was getting into because obviously Tyus went to Duke. But the offense is so, at least the initiating, um, because the the point guard basically, from what I've seen, their responsibility is um, to uh, be successful in transition. They run the show in transition, but in the half court, they're a spot-up shooter. And it's always somebody else who's running it. I mean, you go back to like 2014. It seemed like Kay was consistently trying to find a way to replace Quinn Cook with Tyler Thornton or Rashid Suleiman. By 2015, by the tournament, you could say 
it was mostly Justice Winslow who was initiating half-court offense with some Quint, not not really Tyus as much. 2016, instead of Derek Thornton, it was mostly Grayson with some Luke Kennard and even Matt Jones. 2017, uh, Frank Jackson, he was more of a combo guard, but he wanted to come there and learn how to be a point guard. Instead, it was Grayson again and somehow still Matt Jones. Um, at times, uh, 2018, Grayson over Trevon DeVal. And 2019, RJ over Trey. And I'm not saying every single possession, every single set, but the mass majority of the time, they are the ones who are initiating the offense. And you look at the pick and roll stats, absolutely, to try to create action. That's who it's going to. I mean, Grayson just, I mean, Trevon Duval never really got much. And, I mean, yesterday, I think RJ Barrett, he got something like 10 um, pick and roll opportunities just in the second half, and I'm just thinking, give Trey a little help, because, I mean, the guy can't shoot, and, I mean, okay, that's mean, um, he, he struggles at times, um, but just to have him as a spot-up shooter, I think, wastes his ability in some aspects to make everyone around him better, even if he's not hitting from outside, and I think that sometimes get gets lost. So I'm sorry again that was long winded. Um, do you have any thoughts on the Duke point guard situation? Yeah, I think that you're on to something for sure. I don't I don't know those teams as well as I know the current team, uh, the the current Duke team. But I mean I I know some stuff about about those teams. Like you know you mentioned Justice Winslow was playing point guard. Um, by the end of the year and and I do remember that and obviously you know Grayson Allen um, but uh, yeah so I, it's hard to say right now without knowing the the long-term um, prognostication for for Zion but uh, I one th- I, I have a, a post game video uh, hopefully coming out soon and, and one thing that I am toying around with is what the offense would look like with Trey Jones being a primary facilitator. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. We probably don't have enough examples of it to, to really have a great idea. Uh, but it's again, it's, it, it could be jumping the gun a little bit. It's John. So I'm Jordan. You are smarter than me. You are better than me. It's, it's not going to happen. I mean, I hope. Oh, I I really hope I'm wrong. But I've, so I've, there was I've gone over thing, this year after year after year. There was one thing in the in the Coach K press conference, which I didn't really listen to the whole thing, but he he did talk about the fact that uh, something about something to the I don't want to misquote him, but something to the extent that uh, it, it could be if they had time to prepare for life without Zion, you know, and so. I don't. I think that they've been somewhat um, adaptive this this season in terms of the switching one through five against Virginia. Uh, they go zone, which I know they've been doing for years now. Oh yeah, D- defense. He's it's he's been very adaptive. It's offense. They they really set something at the beginning of the season and just kind of that's it. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, you. I would defer to you in terms of uh, the like Duke's habits in, in these types of situations because I know that you've followed them very closely um, for years. But looking at the film, I mean, it, like there's a couple of plays where it's like, wow, they you know they are not guarding Jack White 
Delorier or Trey Jones. Right. Um, and we need to do something to to uh, to keep them honest. Um, I don't know if that is put the ball in Trey Jones's hands more, but it might be. It might be. Yeah, just create some action. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Who knows? Um, I mean, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but like, I'm almost willing to say it. how Trey's a great on-ball defender. How different is he from Derek Thornton? I don't know Derek Thornton's on-ball defense too well, but can, fill me in. <laughs> he was, he was tremendous. He, I, I don't think he he could quite generate as many steals, but. If if you remember the Carolina game in 2016, I think he blocked um, Joel Berry's shot to win the game, and there there were some issues behind the scenes, which they are what they are, and it's just like he kind of he was on he kind of was a uh, he came in from the bench and then he was starting then bench start it, it was a weird situation and obviously he ended up transferring, but in terms of just being a great defensive point guard. I thought he was, and then when Coach K was out, I remember that was just one game that year. Um, it was versus Georgia Tech, and Jeff Capel um, put him in as as point guard. He started. He was he was fantastic. He used a lot of uh, pick and roll, and he really did well. And Capel's using a lot of pick and roll at Pitt. Obviously, they they just don't have the talent right now. But I think Capel really wants to develop uh, his his point guards, and he's got a great backcourt, a young backcourt right now. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, Thornton's not tremendous. He, he's ha- he's having his struggles at USC right now. So I'm not saying he's uh, another he's an otherworldly point guard or anything. I just think there's ways you can help, especially if your point guard's not a good catch and shoot type of he's not successful in that role. Then what is he doing on offense if you're not using him? You're just having him, Jack White, uh, O'Connell. Javin said, "Just stand around." I don't. I just don't know. It's a lot of pressure to put on Cam and RJ. Not that they can't handle it. It's just I don't know how efficient that's going to end up. Yeah, and it, it's like a chicken or the egg thing um, as to uh, as to who to sort of blame, I guess. So <laughs> blame is kind of harsh, but but uh, with with Trey Jones and Jack White right now, they haven't really earned the uh, the credibility for for them to be in the corner. And as soon as their man helps, boom, I'm I'm making that pass. Um, sometimes it seems like RJ has some tunnel vision on his drives, uh, but on the other hand, um, it's it's uh, like I said, it's that it's that credibility factor. Um, and someone is going to one of those two is going to is going to start making shots at some point. Um, but but, yeah, it, it puts RJ and then Cam Reddish to an extent in an extremely difficult position to be driving, drawing three or four guys and not being able to to kick out and maintain advantages um, from those double teams or, or triple teams. Yeah, I mean, they have guys that are great in their roles, great glue guys. I think O'Connell's the one who he's going to make – he's going to get beat on defense at times. He's going to make some head-scratching decisions at times. But you would expect him to be able to score. That's what he can do. He can, he can he moves all the time, creates energy, and he can shoot. So if he's going to be out there, 
I would I would hope they will run uh, uh, action for him, and he can give them some scoring because the others they're just going to be there, kind of playing their role. I think O'Connell's the one who can hopefully generate more, and obviously Trey, if you give him more action. So, um, all right, uh, last question before I finish up with just uh, um, kind of college basketball coverage. Why don't teams press more? Am I imagining that teams used to press more? I mean, maybe I'm just constantly thinking of how much I hate that Arkansas 1994 team and Scotty Thurman with his rainbow three over... uh, over um, Antonio Lang to beat Duke in the national championship. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. That was a great team. But, um, I mean, that what, what was that, uh, 60 Minutes of Hell? Is that what it's called? I'm probably 40. 40, 40 minutes of uh. Yeah, definitely not 60. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, are, am I imagining the teams used to press more or is kind of I, – I don't know. I just look at Duke and their ability to create havoc. I know desperation kind of when you're down trying to come back. Makes you all of a sudden you've got magical energy, but is is there a reason Duke isn't pressing for longer periods of time? Is it just because maybe their legs will get tired or something? What and just that it's not just for Duke for any team that has the ability, it just doesn't seem like teams press as consistently as they did, and I could be very wrong there. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about um then compared to now there are some mid majors that uh that press uh and a few high majors usually in in a given year uh but but yeah i I wouldn't say it's prevalent by any means i would agree there i I just don't really know what it was like 20 years ago um or or even less than that you know 10 years ago um what was the team um with um is it mount st mary's no yeah Yeah. so uh, well, Shaka Smart and VCU started pressing, and his coaching tree has now um, – he's got six or seven guys who are all coaches, um, yeah. most of them are like on the – yeah, exactly, on the East Coast. And uh, one of his one of his guys in, in the tree, Jamie on Christian, was at Mount St. Mary's. He's now at Siena. Um And for the, a, lot of the, a lot of the teams that press um, are either – um, in the in the Shaka Smart coaching tree, uh, the Rick Pitino coaching tree would be another one, or uh, the or the Bob Huggins. Coaching yeah, I remember tree. reading the book by um, um, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski who uh, about the '92 Kentucky team. I, I think that was the, about the '92 game between Duke and Kentucky, where basically, yeah, I'm sorry, I was um, yeah, where, where Patina would just run them nonstop and they, they'd be like dying and the assistants would be just grinding them down. But that's what made them ready to run all game, every game. And I really appreciate the way you covered me on Mount St. Mary's because that's not what I meant at all. I actually meant um, it was a different team, but it was Paul Westfall. What was his, what was that team? Uh, oh, Loyola Marymount, maybe? Yes, that, that is exactly what I meant. You, I don't know how you covered for me, but thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, Loyola Marymount, they're scoring like 1,000 points a game, and obviously they were giving up the same. I mean, it's kind of like Savannah State, but with uh, Bo Kimball and, um, and uh, Hank Gathers. Was that more of a press? Am I just imagining that? Or are they just, I don't know, how did they score so much? Well, 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, we are. <laughs> I was born in '93, so we are. We are. I, I'm struggling here. I'm really proud of myself that, that <laughs> I, I, I got the Paul Westhead uh, Loyal Marymount. You no, know I think I even said Paul Westfall. I was way off. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, no. I, I, I mostly I'm just basking in uh, in the trivia knowledge right now that, uh, that that I got that right. So so no, I I don't have much to add though. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm just kind of the good old days type of thing. Okay, so college basketball coverage. Let's finish up with that. Did you were you aware when you started doing the X's and O's? Because the analytics you're fantastic at the um, the uh, whatever the bracketology stuff with the um, what's the new uh, the new um, way to uh, rank. Net. Yeah, with the net, you're fantastic with that. I am not all about that. I fully respect it, but and it's not because of Duke. I am also a uh, Maryland fan. I, I graduated from Towson. I'm a Towson fan. That is one team always on the bubble and one team that's not even close to the bubble. So it's not any sort of better than um, the bubble thing with Duke. Uh, it's just – it's. I don't know. I don't have too much interest in it. But you are great with that. You are great with the analytics. But the X's and O's, that's what I've been craving for years. I mean, Rob Douster would do uh, would do it occasionally, and I would always kind of shout him out every time he did, uh, kind of wondering why there wasn't more. Obviously, there is supply and demand with everything. It has to there has to be a demand for it. But when you started doing it consistently, not just once in a while, I mean, you immediately, you were just putting out these videos, which are just fantastic, immediately got my attention. Did you realize nobody else was doing it? Yeah, for the most part, there are sort of like coaching-based videos, I would say. So Gibson Piper, who you mentioned, would be, would be probably the best example um, of of uh, someone who is doing it for coaches, and I think that I've dipped into that a little bit, where where hopefully a coach would would uh, be interested in my content. But I also have the fan base or just the college basketball fans in mind as well, um, and so may, that is hopefully where I've differentiated myself. Um, but like you said, it's supply and demand, and and uh, we're still trying to make it a viable uh, uh, business, I guess, long term. Um, and so we'll see where it all goes. Yeah, because, I mean, you have so many of these analytics sites, so many analytics people, and they're all great. And if I forgot anyone who's doing X's nose coverage, I apologize. Um, but just in terms of I like to know the how and the why. And it's just it, – it frustrates me. This is a me thing that it just – I don't know how others don't kind of wonder about, about like, hey, this team won well, because they wanted it more. Is that really why you believe they won? Like, I mean, and that's the kind of um, description of, of how a team wins at times. Um, UNC won yesterday because Zion was out. There's really actually no – analysis it's really weird do duke played their defense totally changed versus kansas last year nobody really even asked k about it and it just makes me curious how 
people, enough people. I mean, it's, I'm sure there's going to be a minority, but it fascinates me about why more people don't know. I remember watching, I think it was the Olympics. It was either, I think it was like an interview with uh, the gymnastics announcers. And they actually said that they were not supposed to get technical when describing what was going on because that'll overwhelm the listeners. That'll be too much. And it just made me think like, I, I kind of, I'm not a gymnastics fan or anything. I appreciate it, but I would like to know what's going on. And we, I still remember, I actually wrote this whole thing, screenshot and basically thanked Jay Billis. There was a Louisville game earlier this year where he was breaking down the sets and explaining it and really diagramming it. I'm like, this never happens. Doug Gottlieb, well, um, he doesn't call many games, but when he does, I mean, he, he's great at that. And besides that, there's really not many. And it's just, it, it's tough because, again, supply and demand. So it, it's just, do you, how do you feel we can, or not we, but how, how do you feel X's and O's can get more into the mainstream? Because I think what's helped is that you have the support of so many national writers who really recognize the quality of work you're doing. The coaches, they really recognize the quality of work you're doing. And the ex-players, the current players, I'm sure. And I think that really helps because fans see that they're going to be more interested. Somebody like me who's stuck in no man's land, who's not, I mean, a, a fan, but not really, not, but like the stuff I do isn't typical of fans. And, but I'm not an actual media person, so I don't really get, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to complain. I just don't get support from either side. Like, and it, it was probably, I'll, I'll say this, this is probably way too honest. The last, I mean, people listen to the podcast a lot. Like I see the numbers, but when I put it on Twitter, I don't get interact. Like I don't get the promotion. I don't get interaction. And when I put yours, I was really proud, happy to get you and to talk to you. And to see it didn't get really any um, of the interaction. I don't base everything on interaction, but, I mean, that was embarrassing. So I'm just trying to find a way to make it more, I don't know, mainstream, I guess. How do you feel that's possible? Yeah, well, if we want to get into sort of the, the business side of the podcast, then I'd be happy to. Um, I have found, as I think similarly – that uh that people don't really listen to or they don't really click on podcasts very much um on twitter so like videos do quite a bit better in terms of like converting people um to to actually watch them and really uh when i first started doing this stuff my my big emphasis was going to be on the youtube channel I, I wanted to build up the youtube channel the youtube channel the youtube channel and I have since kind of pivoted to the actual um, like in in tweet videos, those like little two minute ones, um, because they, they, they get even more engagement than the YouTube ones. And so I, I use the YouTube videos for longer deep dives uh, that I really have been have been doing less and less as the season has gone on. Um, and the plan is to hopefully pick those up a little bit, especially with March Madness. And, and I think that uh, I think that that was when YouTube will be pretty valuable it's when you get all the all the people that are interested in the bracket. Mm -hmm. um, but 
but yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. I think I think that's just sort of a, a problem with podcasts is that is that uh, they don't do that well in uh, in the Twitter format for for whatever reason. And then uh, as for just X's and O's in general, um, yeah, I, you, you've mentioned Rob Doster a couple of times. I think he does a great job, um, and and he knows the game really well. Um, uh, yeah, I think. I think one of the things is that the it's like the, my advice for someone who wanted to do X's and O's or, or something like that would be to do the NBA <laughs> and don't do college basketball. Oh, um, I agree. And that's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. To uh, me, to me. Right. And it's not something that I ever really considered. Um, even I always say this, I like NBA basketball. Um, uh, as soon as college is over, I'll, I'll start watching it pretty heavily. Um, but, but, uh, it's just, people are trending to want X's and O's and analytics and advanced content in the NBA. They like stuff that I'm not even really interested in. Everyone loves the CBA and, and the, the trades and the, the front office kind of stuff. Um, I've actually heard that some NBA podcasts do better in the off season. It's almost not, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's a weird dynamic. The draft is another thing. Um, but in general, they want that advanced content. Um, the question is, you know, when like Michigan is a really good team this year and their fan base is super devoted. Uh, but when I make a Michigan video, I'm not sure that anyone that isn't a Michigan fan is really watching it. And yet um, when you ask them who's who's uh, na- name some of the best offensive coaches everyone will say John Beeline but nobody will actually know why it's just because that's what you're supposed to say <laughs> I mean that, that stuff like that just blows my mind yeah they probably yeah it, you it does take, um uh, a certain perspective to like Gibson Piper is, is the best at that he watches so much film that uh that I think he's good at answering some of those questions, but uh, yeah, best offensive coach Bob McKillop. Who does he coach? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. There, there you go. There you go. Um, so yeah, that it's like the the fact that it's so heavily tied to fan bases in in college, um, and and yeah, it's it's been an interesting experiment. You know, it's I don't like necessarily admitting that. Uh, that I am very um, cognizant of like the Twitter followers and the audience and the podcast numbers and all that stuff. Um, it seems like uh, that is almost self-promotional or, or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make a business out of it and it's important um, to, to be growing the, the Twitter following and, and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's hard to give general advice because, you know, I have the video or I have the X's and O's stuff. I have the analytics stuff. Um, and it's hard to draw like cause and effect for, for what does the best. Uh, but we are, we are trying to, and we're, and we're monitoring that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even asking advice for myself. I mean, I, it, it is what it is with me. I, I'm more interested in the overall industry and trying to get people like you more noticed because I mean, it's so important just to have that option for many people. And if it's not there, that's just, it, it's, it's really frustrating, at least to me. Um, and I think obviously college basketball with the national, it's very different than the beat writers. So I think the beat writers have a lot of responsibility to 
really they, they have a lot of control over what goes on with their team and, and how their team is looked at with a with like Duke it's so odd because Duke is closed off and private there's very few teams like let's say a long Kruger Oklahoma where it's open practices which is just unheard of at this point uh, I mean Duke they you only get information when they want you to so I'm not quite sure how a Duke beat writer is supposed to give you any more information than what you already know besides the game recap. So that's why, like, I think it'd be great if there were more X's and O's because they're already paid for this. But it's I think with the newspapers are having a tough time, whether you want to call newspapers in print or online, still the same. I mean, like uh, Sean Crest, who's fantastic. It's not like he can have the time to break down Duke when he's covering every team in the triangle. He'll cover NC State, North Carolina, and Duke three games in one day. Then he'll cover, like, uh, Carolina hockey. I mean, he's all over the place. He just, he, he works his butt off. So I, I when I say, like, I wish there was more X's and O's from beat writers, that's not an insult to them. I understand it's tough. So, I mean, e- even there, I mean, when it's stretched then. So I'm not really sure. I mean, it, it's it's tough to just even find a solution right now. The only thing I think that would help is, and I'm not trying to make this any, I'm not trying to go outside of sports too much. I'm just making a quick observation that when people have issues, they are much more likely to express them publicly, whether it's news, whether it's how something is, uh, if it's somebody giving a ridiculous hot take uh, on um, for sports, Everyone's going to jump on the bandwagon of hate, but why not? Why not promote good? Why not promote quality? That's what that's what I think could help. I mean, if somebody's doing a good job. Shout them out. Share. Promote. I think that will help a lot more than just saying Jalen Rose said Zion Williamson is not going to be the greatest player of all time. He's stupid. He's horrible. He's evil. And I'm like, what? You. He said Zion's not going to be an MVP, and you guys are melting down. Like, <sighs> chill out. Like, there's things you can promote. I'm not even saying me. I'm not saying I deserve it. But promote what's good, not tear up what's bad all the time. And I am getting off my high horse right now. <laughs> well, uh, no, I, I agree, and and it's probably something that that uh, once I'm done building this up this year, you know, I would love to keep doing or love to pay it back going forward. I will say that, uh, like you mentioned that the national media guys have, have been really helpful and, and that's an understatement. Um, you know, Jeff Goodman came on my podcast and, um, has been amazingly supportive. And I talked to Sam Vecini before I even launched any of this stuff to kind of pick his brain um, Rob Doster is another one. I mean, really all of those guys, even some of the beat writers, um, have, have been, uh, have been really supportive of, of hoop vision. Um, and yeah, and, uh, I, I think that once you get to a certain level, you're at a point where you can then pay it back. And I'm not by any means there yet, but I, I'm, uh, hoping to do that in the future. I was the Athletic, you guys have money. Please, please do video. Hey, hire Jordan. The Athletic, hire Jordan. Seth Davis, I'm talking to you. You'll never hear that. <laughs> All right, so that basically sums up, Jordan. I kept you for a while. I think this was fantastic in terms of just 
given a little inside look into your thought process, um, not just giving numbers, it's how the numbers come about, what, what you do. And I mean, I would say, I'm not sure even whether, how to, whether to bring up the Syracuse situation. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's been a, Jim Beheim. there's been a situation with him. Do you, how do you think that would affect it? You know what? You do video on that. So it's it really, there's no way to actually base stats on whether or not stuff will be affected by a head coach possibly not being on the floor or is there, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know too much about the situation, but, uh, um, or, or what the implications will be, whether he'll miss time or, or anything like that. Um, but, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It, I, I don't necessarily have, um, an opinion one way or the other. Obviously the human element does play a role in, in things. And, um, I think that it could, um, it could go either way in terms of just how when Zion goes out and, uh, and it's either rallying around him or or uh, in shock um, against him. Uh, that that it's probably out of my uh, expertise. I actually do do find it interesting. Syracuse, I think, leads the uh, ACC in forcing turnovers. That's the last thing I expected. They usually, I mean, they're great zone. I didn't, I, I didn't think they're typically they force a lot of turnovers, but. Eh for them um so duke will be traveling to syracuse jordan thank you so much and uh please just tell everyone uh where they can find all of your uh quality material again yeah the twitter account is hoopvision 68 so is the youtube channel uh the podcast is solving basketball um and and yeah thank you so much for having me again and i really enjoyed this yeah this was a marathon and uh yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much, Jordan. Um, maybe sometime soon. Obviously not. I took away a lot of your time now. But you're going to be doing great work as March Madness hits. Uh, please check them out. And, uh, yeah, I will be talking to you soon.